you, you really do have to think, what is my skill set and where is the future going? And who can I talk to to find out what, what the right direction is to be in? Network beyond your immediate group of people. To get promoted in a company, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. In a large bank, when they're looking at managing directors, they actually go outside the region and they ask people, everybody who knows you, and it basically goes beyond your job. It, you need to go beyond being obsessed with work. Variety is the spice of life. The best companies are the ones that listen to everyone. They always say the person you need to listen to is the person that doesn't speak up in the meetings. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 25. My guest today is Simon Clark. He's a managing director with Citibank Private Bank and his career spans 38 years. You know how in the last several years people started to look for more meaning and flexibility and many are looking for a career change. And in this environment, Simon is someone who has found a balance and purpose and he enjoys his life and work. Also, he has amassed 57,000 people following on LinkedIn where he shares financial advice, anecdotes and career lessons. So I want to ask him and understand how is he doing this in this podcast. And if you find the podcast interesting, please subscribe and leave us a comment. See you in a second. Hi, Simon. I'm so happy that you are a guest in my podcast. How are you today? I'm extremely well, Annie. It's great to be a guest. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great. Well, let's dive in. Let's dive in. And the first thing I wanted to start this conversation with is that um, I saw that your bachelor degree is in languages, Spanish and French, and then you started in banking. How was that possible? And was it your wish or this is something that happened by chance? Well, first of all, Annie, it was a long, long time ago. And I think in those days, there was no such thing as summer analyst programs or anything, even graduate recruitment programs, or even once you became a, uh, you got a job, there was no graduate, graduate rotation programs. So what I did essentially was I did a degree in Spanish and French, as you say. And before I graduated, I sent a lot of letters out to diff different institutions. I think it was 35 letters. And I probably got about five interviews and got offered two jobs. And that was a choice between the Bank of England and Union Bank of Switzerland. So the process was a lot more amateur in those days than it is nowadays. And I think also the competition was more, you know, national than international as it is nowadays. So uh, it wasn't quite a quirk of fate. I actually, my logic was I had... A-levels from high school in Spanish, French, and maths. And my logic was I was looking for a job which used my um, skills both in sort of um, EQ and also in uh, numbers or figures or whatever. So I think it was a sort of itinerative process that ended up in banking. Tell me, you are coaching um, and mentoring many young people. Is it still possible to start in banking uh, without a finance background? What is the industry actually after in terms of qualities? What are they looking for, for when they um, look for new hires? Yeah, every, everybody asks me that question. It's actually a very difficult question to answer because I think, first of all, uh, a lot of the elimination process is actually done by AI, which is very unfortunate. Uh, if you didn't go to the top 
five universities, the top 10 or whatever, you, you don't stand a chance. And obviously, COVID's made it extremely difficult because there used to be roadshows where banks would go out to universities. And uh, I think there's a deliberate policy, certainly in the UK, to go beyond the obvious top five to find talent in other universities. Uh, some jobs they now use virtually sort of anonymous uh, techniques where they basically blank out people's names, they blank out the CV, they do basically um, tests to check, you know, uh, aptitude to certain things. I am only brought in really at the interviewing stage. So a lot of the screening's been done. But I have to say that it is a bit odd because banking's not necessarily something that can be taught. I know that you can be taught economics and finance, etc. But once you get into financial markets, you really do learn a little bit on the job. So uh, I guess in answer to your question, what I'm looking for, there's a classic saying that people are looking for somebody who can sell them, somebody that they really like. Uh, the, the test is either somebody that you're stuck with at an airport, or I always use the analogy, if I was to, to, to be stuck or be sat next to you at a dinner party for two hours, how would I feel? So I actually look for people that are, um, are more rounded. Uh, when I interview people, I generally... I ask the obvious questions, you know, why private banking, why Citibank? Um, and I tend to find that the candidates just roll off a uh, an answer that's a bit cliche and comes straight from the uh, from from the website or something like that. So personally, I just try and find the real person. I try and not put people off, but I try and answer, ask questions that nobody else is going to ask about other aspects of their life. I dig deep into their CV. I look at their hobbies. Um, I try and find, you know, something that will reveal the real personality behind it. And I think what I'm looking for is people that are, um, they're just hungry to learn. You know, they, they, they really want the job. They, um, they've done their homework. They generally are, are polite, inquisitive, you know, just a sharp mind. Um, and you 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 think logically, how will they fit into the organization? Because, you know, different companies are different and different personalities suit different companies. And obviously, there's lots of different roles within banking, for instance. Uh, so I think there's lots of different things that candidates always ask me and I say, well, there's nothing I can teach you, but I know when I see it sort of thing. So, you know, just be yourself is the main thing, I think. I guess that uh, one very important quality is um, to be eager to learn and to be able to change and to be um, coachable, trainable, because there's so many changes in the, not only in the banking industry, everywhere. What are the, the new jobs that did not exist five years ago and uh, how should people prepare for those? Well, I guess banking and I guess the world is is being driven by digitalization and by technology. So obviously there are the um the leading edge parts of technology. So in banking that would include fintech, robo advisors, this sort of, you know, things. But I think that as far as new jobs are concerned, I I'm not sure there's anything startlingly new. I, I, I do agree with what you say. You do have to be totally adaptable and you do have to be able to, to embrace change and 
move forward, definitely. I think it's very easy to get left behind. I think of, as an example, electronic trading. Now, there was some resistance in private banking to electronic trading, but as it was when I was in investment banking. But if you think about it logically, the best thing that can happen is when you make money when you're not doing anything. So if people trade online or at night or whatever, and you're making money, that's great. If it takes that side of it away and you've got more time to talk to clients about more strategic elements, then, you know, the whole idea in, in life is scalability. And obviously, digitalization and le- electronic trading, etc., gives you scalability. So all of these things, we're all trying to um, move forward. And, and generally, you know, digitalization reduces the number of people you need. But a lot of it is getting rid of the back end, getting rid of process. It's, it's looking as management consultants do at the whole chain of process and saying, how can we make the process smoother? So I don't think there's anything necessarily new. I think we can see the future of private banking as what's happened to investment banking, i.e., uh, you know, a lot, it, you know, there's what they call soft touch. Uh, so bigger clients get more attention, smaller clients get, get automated, etc. So it's, you know, we, we are, uh, are sort of looking at uh, consumer banking and private banking. And consumer banking is generally a bit like trawler fishing. It, it's essentially using it's getting hits on websites etc whereas private banking is a bit more like marlin fishing you know we're looking for one person we're looking for one deal so you know we're just trying to get smarter i guess is 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 the main thing so and if somebody is in their mid-career and um, start thinking about the future as you said i mean things change what what should they plan about and how should they approach it? What are the skills, for instance, which they need to learn? And what are the skills which will always be uh, sought after, in your opinion? Well, I was lucky enough to change my career, mid-career, at the age of 37, which I guess is perfectly mid-career. And, and the advice I would give to people is prepare for it. You know, it, it, it happened to me when actually the one time in my career I was actually made redundant. but Actually, this was a, I was prepared for it. It was after the uh, Russian crisis in 1998, the Asia financial crisis as well. Uh, so in 2000, I changed careers. And in fact, because I'd prepared for it, I'd thought about what could I do if, if this you know, present job, you know, the gravy train ran out or whatever happened. So I proactively looked at the field I wanted to get into. I studied exams that I would need to get into that field. So if you are going to change career, you really want to, you need to demonstrate that you are um, adaptable and that you've uh, looked at this career, that you've done the networking, et cetera, and that you've done your groundwork. And if possible, you can prove it by doing exams. A lot of people use um, an MBA. An MBA is probably, depending on whether you're, you're in North America or in Europe, is mid to late 20s or 30 or so. But then there's an EMBA which people generally do around 40 years old. And all of these things are ways in which you can pivot your career in a different direction. You can get a new network of people and you can uh, you can get involved. It's not an easy thing to do, I must say. And you're right, you have to think about the future and where things lie. And at the moment, a lot of banks are focusing on private banking, so it's an extremely good area to be in. But a lot of the younger people 
of my children's age uh, are looking more at uh, different careers, particularly in technology has been, um, you know, a, a, a very, you know, I mean, technology, the big tech shares, obviously, they make money in advertising. So there's all the digital marketing, and, and, and that's a new, uh, you know, new area. So younger people are adapting, obviously, looking at the future, and some aspects, a bit like sort of black and white photography, eventually, they completely die out, or, you know, cameras as opposed to camera phones so you're right you you really do have to think what is my skill set and where is the future going and who can i talk to to find out what what the right direction is to be in and what was your um career change i well i started off in um what broadly is called investment banking though i, I i'm told that investment banking in the american sense is merely corporate finance but in the broader sense investment banking is essentially corporate finance syndicate sales and trading so it's actually raising debt and equity and and then the secondary trading and sales of those products so i started off in eurobond sales and i did that job for 15 years so and then i switched into becoming a relationship manager in private banking so the common theme behind them is sales but in the former i was essentially selling to institutions and the latter i'm obviously selling to individuals uh the former i was actually speaking to specialists in fixed income so i'm speaking as one expert to another expert at an institution and then in private banking you can have different clients of all levels of sophistication and you know you're you're i guess you go from being a, a specialist to being a generalist uh, and in the generalist within the financial world having been a specialist is a very very uh, valuable tool because you can use your um, expertise in a certain area of financial markets to value other areas so you know uh, if you know about fixed income then you know about equity if you know about equity you know about private equity if you know about that you know about hedge funds etc so uh, that that was my career change basically after 15 years and uh, when you were speaking uh, before you said that if you want to make any type of change you have to you have to think about your network and you're pretty good in creating and, and managing networks because you've created a, a great personal brand on LinkedIn. You have um, around 50,000 followers, which is huge. And you're a luminary 2022. So um, why, is, why is personal brand so important these days, especially? Well, I think it's, it is very, very important. Uh, and I, I guess I'll start with the personal brand in in your own company. I would actually recommend everyone read a book by by our friend Eric Sim, because he his book is very good at teaching. I think it's called Little Steps or uh, something. Uh, it, it's very good at at teaching you how to get how to succeed in a in a company. Basically, you need to stand out. You need to have your own speciality, etc., to succeed. Now. To me, I think it's very important that you uh, network beyond your immediate group of people. It, to get promoted in a company, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And that's very apparent, for instance, in a large bank. When they're looking at managing directors, they actually go outside the region and uh, they ask people, everybody who knows you and it basically goes beyond your job it it becomes more of a sort of uh, symbolic or um uh, you know a, a titled role now as far as 
personal branding on social media is concerned, I actually did it as a little bit of a hobby to start with. I think I enjoy writing. I imagine my target audience, which um, is generally people of my children's age in their 20s, people that are trying to get on the job ladder, uh, you know, any way you can help them. There's a great American expression, send the elevator back down. Any way you can help these young people is fantastic. I mean, behind the scenes, I get a lot of direct messaging, which uh, I try to reply to every single message. And, you know, if any word of encouragement or any piece of advice is useful to people, and then obviously there are people who I've actually helped, you know, get jobs. There are people at Citibank who joined because they contacted me originally. But the truth is that I actually enjoy writing. Uh, the second audience, I guess, is more experienced people. And I think when you've had a long career, there are many, many anecdotes and uh, as somebody described them, vignettes, which can actually really either make people laugh or realize that, you know, nobody, no career is a straight line. It definitely, there are crashes and there are, you know, different bosses and it, it you know, as a friend of mine says, you know, a career is definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it really is a question of surviving the years and thriving is actually very difficult. So it, if I can help people in any way, I don't I don't use um, social media really to to lift my own brand. Although I have met some incredible people, including yourself, really, although you worked at City, um, through um, through my LinkedIn. So, you know, that that is great. And I, I think it, it really helps that, um, you know, a senior person at a bank can actually be uh, approachable. Uh, and I think that has helped a lot of people. And I think that, you know, hopefully my uh, LinkedIn posts, etc., encourage young people and... Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm there to help, really. But uh, you said that uh, you developed uh, your LinkedIn, uh, your network, and your profile on LinkedIn while still working. But a lot of people they complain about corporate standards and limitations when it comes to posting online. Um, so how did you do it? What What is your advice? Uh, what should people who, who continue to work in large organizations um, do so they can start on LinkedIn and create this personal brand? Well, for a start, I don't think you should encounter problems. I think that the first thing to do is actually read the corporate, the company policy on this because, you know, I've read it, I read it again recently. And, and the main thing is you cannot be seen to represent your employer. If you do, then you need to obviously uh, have approval for every post. You need to you need to have uh, sometimes press training and all sorts of other things. So if you are literally posting on behalf of a company, that that's what you do. But I actually, I know the people in corporate communications extremely well. And if there's any, any area of doubt, I check with them. So I will ask them, I've been asked to do this podcast. Are you okay with me doing it? Uh, so I get their approval to do it. But the main thing is obviously to find out what the corporate policy is and essentially engage with the people that 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 are involved with putting the policy together to make sure that if you're you're following the guidelines and essentially it is it is you acting as uh, an individual and not representing the company you work for where do you draw inspiration how do you do you have how do you plan all all your posts on linkedin 
Well, I think one thing is I if I if I have a thought, I put it I put it in my phone, you know, so I have a note section and I probably got two or three ideas that are there ready. And I I guess I think of them, I either think of them just, you know, somebody says something to me or somebody asks me a question on LinkedIn. And I think the best thing I can do is tell everyone about that because everyone's asking that question. So why don't I, why don't I reply to everyone? I've actually, since COVID, I've, I've, I've learned three new habits, actually, or three new skills. One habit was that I learned to trade options with our friend Simon Ree in Singapore. The second one was I learned to play bridge, which has been very interesting. But the third one is I actually go for a morning walk and I listen to a UK program called Desert Island Discs. And so I go for a 40 minute walk and this Desert Island Disc essentially is, is their guest basically picks eight songs that they would take onto a desert island and it talks about their life story as well and i often find that walking through nature in the morning that something will come to me or standing in the shower or whatever but i often think um, young people as i say ask me a question and it's sometimes you know it's a question which I have to think hard about it. And I think if I have to think hard about it, then there must be a lot of people who are interested in knowing the reply to it. So it's it's really, I guess the theme is is trying to help young people and or anecdotes in my career. You know, I actually posted yesterday, I heard, and this is a totally true story. Somebody told me about uh, somebody I knew getting divorced and I was really saddened because it was somebody I'd worked with and you know, I thought this sort of thing, you need to have a human touch when you post as well. Uh, you, you're not a robot. In fact, several people have asked me that question. How do you come up with so many? You know, do you have a, a ghostwriter or, you know, and I literally go, no, it's me. So, you know, I don't know whether it ends up in a book, but there is a sort of logic. But it, it's, um, I try to, I, I mean, some are, are quite market focused um so for a layman would would not necessarily make much sense like i might talk about the s&p trading sideways or uh or i don't know the dollar being at all-time highs or stuff like that but other is as i say you know helping young people with career advice i recently did a series of interviews and and asked the person at the end do you have any questions for for the managing director of private bank and he said no and i was completely stunned <laughs> Because you know, and I put how the, can that be? I put I put on on the post. You know, I'll give you a clue. If you do that, then you're not going to get a job because this is your one chance at asking. And um, okay, you might be a cliche question, but hopefully you have something which is you know well thought out and reasoned, etc. So it they come easily, and I think we were just talking earlier. But the way that LinkedIn works is essentially, if you are very successful, then uh, the AI, the sort of uh, algorithm attracts more people. So, you know, I've had posts, well, I had one post that had 790,000 views and actually shared one, just something that was a, actually a joke about LinkedIn, but it got five and a quarter million views. So once the algorithm gets going and people share, then it just goes viral, basically. But now, as I mentioned earlier, if you do want to follow somebody on LinkedIn, instead of you know, just by random catching one of them or popular posts, you can just look at their profile and press the bell. And it means that you'll, you'll get to see every one of their, um, their uh, posts. No, absolutely. That's, that's a new, a very nice new feature. 
Um, let's let's jump now to a question I I wanted to ask you for a long time, and um, and it's related to, you know, these days people generally are looking for more meaning and flexibility, and many people in their late careers, uh, even mid careers, are thinking of, uh, I mean, what can I do? What else can I do? And they're looking for a change. But you seem you seem to have found the right balance. Uh, and you seem completely content and, and happy in what you're doing uh, without any kind of wish to um, do something different. So how, how do you achieve this? What should people do to, to feel the, the same way you feel? That's a very good question. I, um, I had this discussion with a client, actually. And my client is a lawyer in Hong Kong who's 70 years old. And he said about his career, he is just so lucky. He's met so many interesting people. And I said, well, look, I am so lucky because I have you as a client and I have your friends as clients. And, you know, therefore, I I'm in a really good place. And I think I'm extremely, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'm very good at my job. So I, I know that I've got a process which is repeatable. You know, one of my recent posts was about how do you overcome this seven-year cycle in a career where typically what people do is they work for three or four years, they plateau, they find another job, and they move on, and they get a pay rise, and then they keep on doing it every single seven years. But I think that there are a lot of jobs which are very, very specialized. I mean, you look at, say, I don't know, in Japan, a sushi maker or something like that. For it, The apprenticeship is sort of two years or whatever. So to some people, you can look from outside and say, oh, this is incredibly boring what you do. But actually, I remember a friend of mine once saying when 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 you have children, children should never be bored. You know, they have an imagination. And I, I'm the same way, you know, there's always, so I have a fantastic um, group of clients. I have people that I'm trying to um, sign up as clients. Uh, and then there's just general networking, which, you know, frankly, I, I, I enjoyed speaking to strangers. And actually, one thing I did realize was that you need to go beyond being obsessed with work. Uh, I always look for very rounded individuals. And so, you know, if I think about this weekend, you know, I, I went to see the Nutcracker at the, at the ballet, you know, I, um, I watched the Soccer World Cup with a whole load of Finnish people. So, you know, I think variety is the spice of life. And I think you're right, a lot of people are Uh, COVID has made people question the norm, especially commuting and working from home and this sort of thing, and, and the relationship that they have with their team members. But I think that it's right to question those sort of things. And I think that technology really, it's incredible how technology and medicine turned what was a, you know, potentially a fatal virus for the whole planet into something which a lot of people learned a lot of lessons out of. So I think when you are in mid-career, definitely look ahead. I mean, I, I had a, a coffee with um, uh, an ex-boss and we had a fascinating chat about what he was doing now, now he'd left the business. So you you never in life want to sort of run up to a crossroads and just go, which way do I go? Uh, you know, you always want to be prepared. Uh, I know that, you know, when you come to a fork in the road, they always say that, you know, whichever fork you take, a part of you dies because you're, you're making a choice. So you, you can't do everything in life. But I think the thing to do is just generally, first of all, stay healthy. Uh, you know, health is 
beyond everything. Family and friends are obviously very, very important. And um, just enjoy life. And I think that comes out in your personality as well. It, it, it shows when you meet people and everything else that you are genuinely happy. And I've been very lucky. I'm in a very good space. And, you know, I think that's great for everyone. You know, I hope everyone has the same experience. And I know that you are um, very involved uh, in how generations work together, live together. Uh, what tips would you give to people so they can thrive in the in a multi-generational environment? Well, as you say, I used to uh, co-head the um, Cities Generations Network in Hong Kong. And um, with every event we had, we tried to mix people up. It was a lot easier pre-COVID because our typical format was people would register, they'd listen to somebody for an hour, and then they'd stay uh, and talk over canapes and, and some drinks. And even then, I remember one time when somebody met their boss's boss, and they wouldn't normally have talked to them at all, but both came back to me afterwards and says, wow, that was absolutely incredible. And I think that every company thinks in silos, whether it's profit and loss silo or any sort of silos. So any form of network should really break down those silos. And I think as well, we uh, try and actually have youth committees. Uh, so you, you form a committee of people and you say, okay, the age limit is 35. You know, you can't have anybody over 35. And what you can't do is cheat. You can't have somebody who chairs it who's basically 50 because that that they the young people don't feel at home with that. So the best thing you can do is let them brainstorm and come up with ideas because the best companies, the ones that listen to everyone, they always say the person you need to listen to is the person that doesn't speak up in the meetings. So, and uh, there's a trendy sort of term, revenge, reverse mentoring. But I've done quite a lot of mentoring and I've said to people, look, please help me as well. You know, if I say something, you know, I I'm not into um, status or titles or whatever. So I'm very much into try and mix people up. And I think the more we can mix people up, the more successful a company will be. So the more you can, well, you know, have social events, have have things where people change the way that they normally get involved on a day-to-day -day basis in projects and things like that. But definitely, I think that uh, the main process is that everybody is open. The door is always open to listen to everyone. And we deliberately try and uh, mix up the generations. We talk to the different generations. And I think that that's the, the main thing. It's, it's not, you know, you get more senior and you only look up. As you get more senior, you should look down the whole time and, and constantly relate to the people you're working with. We are at the end of the podcast, and I would like to close it with um, you giving all the listeners what are these top three qualities, skills, or approaches, whatever you decide, that helped you the most in your career and life. I've always been driven. Um, so that's one thing. I guess generally I've always been happy as well. So driven and happy is a good combination. I think beyond that, there's a lot of luck. So I don't know whether, you know, I, I think driven and, and, and being happy is important. And yeah, I think inquisitive mind is the other thing. I think that you, 
the best way of networking is to reach out when you have a question. And there's nothing that people appreciate more than if there's a question which uh, is well thought out, because you can literally approach anyone with a well thought out question. So, you know, being driven, being happy and being inquisitive, I think, are the three qualities you require. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please remember to review, rate and subscribe when you have a chance. You can do that on your favorite podcast platform or go to our site, changeispossible.site. Thank you once again and have a great day.